Well, good morning. Once again, we're going to be looking at the great things of God in the, in the Bible. And this morning, we're going to be looking at the great bonfire, the great bonfire. And I wish I was able to find a, find a big bonfire uh, video, but I, I really couldn't. So um, that's the best I was able to, to come up with. But anyway, um, the great bonfire. We'll be looking at the book of Daniel. And we'll be looking at Daniel's three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or how I was taught it growing up, my shack, your shack, and a bungalow. Um, but anyway, these three boys uh, will be thrown into a huge fire, so hot that those uh, around them are going to, uh, to die. And so we're going to look at uh, the story, chapter 3 of Daniel, and draw out some of these uh, lessons that we, that we see from this scripture. Would you stand with me for the reading of God's word? We'll be in Daniel chapter 3, verses 8 and 12. Daniel chapter 3, verses 8 and 12. At this time, some of the astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You have issued a decree, O king, and everyone who hears the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold, that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews who you set over the affairs of, of the providence of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, O king. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Let's pray. Hallelujah. Father God, reveal your truth to us this morning, Lord. Reveal, Lord God, what you want us to understand today, Father God. Help us to put you first in all things, Lord Jesus. Help us to elevate you, Lord God. Help us to stand strong on your word, on your promises, Lord God, and see us through any kind of fire or trial or tribulation that comes our way, Lord God, because you're an awesome God, and you can do all things, Lord Jesus, and we can put our full trust and confidence in you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. You may be seated. Nebuchadnezzar made uh, an image of gold 90 feet high and 90 feet wide and set it up on the plains of Dora in the providence of Babylon. He then summons his crew of advisors, governors, uh, judges, uh, providential um, officials, and many other people to come to the dedication of this image. An announcement was made uh, in verse 4 of that chapter. This is what you are commanded to do, O people, nations and and men of every nation, as soon as you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, hope, a harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that the King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. And so all the people, nations, and men of every language are going to fall down and worship this image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up, except these three young men. Now, I'm not sure where Daniel is during this, uh, this time, but he's probably away on some kind of business, or he was smart enough not to be in the city square or, or the main area every time uh, this music was playing. I really don't know, but the consequences we know are pretty, uh, pretty strong. It was immediate death by fire. A little background here on these three men. 
um, how they ended up in Babylon uh, instead of Jerusalem. And Daniel chapter 1 will, goes into more details explaining this. It was in the third year of the reign of uh, Jehoiakim, king of Judah, that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into the hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of God in Babylon and put in the treasure house of his God. This was punishment. We see that this is punishment because Jehoiakim was a wicked king. He was an evil king. And the sins of the leader can affect all of us as well. When we follow leaders that aren't doing the right thing, a lot of times we will suffer because of it. And then the king ordered the chief of his court officials to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal families and the nobilities, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude of every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians, and the king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table, and they were to be trained for three years. So they're going into a three-year training camp, and after that, they were entering into the king's service. Now, among these, we know was Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and we also know from Scripture that they came from a royal family or some kind of nobility. And then verse 17 of that same chapter says, to these, these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds, a kind of literature and learning, and Daniel could understand visions, and Daniel could dream uh, dreams, uh, visions and dreams of all kinds. And then the king spoke with them. And so he found none were equal. And so, the king, so they entered into the king's service in every matter of wisdom, in every matter of understanding about which he questioned them. He found them to be ten times smarter than everyone else, than all the magicians and enchanters in the whole kingdom. And so they excelled and stood up and stood out among the young men. Now, these young men were Jews. They were Jews from Judah, from Jerusalem. And they were the competition, in a sense. They were new arrivals to the land, and they challenged the position in the kingdom, so, in a sense. So they, were, so they were hated, and they were disliked by many people. Now, if we jump back to our text scripture now in Daniel chapter 3, verse 8, at this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. And I hope you all have handouts that you could be looking at this as well. At some time, the astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. So we're going to take a stand for the Lord and don't bow down to the enemy's schemes. Take a stand for the Lord and don't bow down to the enemy's schemes. Jews are constantly being mistreated. They're mistreated people. And you wonder why that, that is. But maybe it's simply because God has his hand on them. We see clearly in this passage of Scripture that God has his hands on these Jewish boys. And today the Jews are making the papers as well. We see that President Trump on Wednesday recognized the disputed city of Jerusalem as Israel's capital. This is a, an historic event, and this decision over, overturns decades of U.S. policy. And he said, I have determined at this time to officially recognize Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. Now, regardless of your political positions, regardless of your views of President Trump or not, or regardless if you think he's a Christian or not, or a baby Christian, I won't make sound effects of drinking milk or not, or having a steak. I, I won't do that today, or I might, I don't know. But, um, 
But we need to pray for those in authority. Because all authority comes from God. And I personally believe that we will benefit for a White House that wants to bless Israel. I believe, thank you, I believe Israel's history has shown that, that those who bless Israel will uh, be blessed. And so I believe we will be blessed. And God is not done with Israel, and God is not done with us. So some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They were jealous of these young men and the position and the power, and they wanted to remove them, even if it meant for them to be killed. But these young men took a stand, a firm stand, a firm uh, position for the Lord, and they would not bow. Verse 9, they said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You have issued a decree. You know, when you want someone to listen to you, it's a good idea to praise them first. O king, live forever. You have issued a decree. And now you're reminding them of what, what you said in the past. O king, that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the, the lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold. And that whatever, whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some, some Jews, whom you have set over the affairs of the providence of Babylon, who you have elevated, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, O king. They need to serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. This enrages the king. And he's going to challenge these men now. And he's going to say, is what they say true? Is this true? You pay no attention to me? You're not going to bow down to me? You're not going to bow down to this image? You're not going to worship these gods and, the, and this image? And then before they could even answer, he goes on to say, so he's actually giving them a, really a chance here because these are, they're already high officials. But if you do not worship, if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. I'm warning you this, right? Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? I don't know if these boys left at this moment, but we can laugh now because we know the God that they served. Because we know that the God, our God, has just been challenged by this, this feeble king. And he, he might have thought God is not real, but he soon, in a, f- a few moments, is going to find out how real God is, how strong he is, how powerful he is, how mighty he is. Amen? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego reply to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not defend ourselves before you in this matter. Why? Because we understand the God that we stand before. And they taken a stand of righteousness, and they knew who their God was, and they knew him. Well, he was able to save them. God has the power to save. God has the power to save us. God has the power to save them. And I think that's the problem for many of us in our church and in our society today. We forget about the God, our God, that we serve. We discount his power. We lack faith. And we really maybe don't even experience God the way we should. Because when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, no man or no demon can tell us otherwise. When you experience God and you feel that burn, when you feel the power of God coming over you, it's special. It's real. And when you experience God firsthand, 
you know, you know that you know that you know deep in your heart that he's real, that, that his presence is real, that his power is real. You know that God is real. And by the way, how many believers seem to defend their position with the world when they're challenged? Hey, is God real? Can your God save you? Can your God heal you? Can your God make a way when there seems to be no way? Or when the world says, you're an intolerant people. You have a blind faith. How can you believe in a young earth? Or how foolish you are for not believing in evolution. And the list goes on and on and on. Don't buy into their nonsense. Don't buy into their nonsense. While it's important to understand the Bible, it's important to understand the times that we live in. And we should be able to explain our position on many of these topics. The way I see it is that I find ourselves debating and defending and being on defense instead of being on offense. And when we start arguing these points that don't advance the kingdom of God. The purpose of many of these types of debates when you're challenged in this way is really to disprove the Bible or challenge or question the God that you serve or, or if you have the right knowledge or they want to start a fight with you of some sort. Take a stand for the Lord and don't bow down to the enemy's schemes. Simply tell them about the love of Jesus. Don't get caught up in their idle talk and all their nonsense and all their tricks. If they're serious, if they seriously are asking you questions and you feel, then go deeper with them. Disciple them, lead them, teach them. But you don't have to argue with them. For example, there's a, a, a big debate in the Christian and, and the world about how foolish it is to believe in a creative God instead of evolution. Or believing in a young earth instead of one that's billions of years old. I usually don't find myself wasting time fighting these things. I have my views. I have my beliefs. And I base them on what I think is Bible discoveries. But I also am open to views that the Bible might suggest otherwise. Some of these topics. Even if mainstream Christianity doesn't agree. For example, I mostly hold to a young earth created with age. In six days. Similar to Adam and Eve being created with age. So while the Lord appears to have created forms following function and made an environment for humans to function in this atmosphere, He's also a very creative God. He's a creative God. And with that, He has created things, I believe, simply for us to enjoy, simply for us to discover. His creation might go beyond forms and functions. Not everything has to necessarily fit, it could just be to. It fits in just because it's beautiful to look at. And so when we read the Bible, read it to discover more about God. For example, an old earth versus a young earth. And some of you might get mad for me preaching this or teaching this today, but it's okay. When you read Genesis chapter 1, there's at least two possible places where time frames or periods of time can be longer than a 24-hour day. The word yom, Y-O-M, means 24-hour 24-hour day. But it could also mean a period of time that's just much longer than that, that 24 hours. We know that with God, a day is like a thousand. A thousand is like a day. We also know in verses, in chapter 1, verses 1 through 2, there are scholars that believe that there's some kind of gap theory there. And it goes into a whole other big debate on those realities. While on the surface they appear to answer why the earth might appear to be very old, Something, the truth is that something 
cannot really appear old or young. The question is really about history. It's not a matter of present observation. Nevertheless, it creates other questions like, do we have death and decay prior to the fall? Were things really dying for billions of years prior to the fall of mankind and sin entering the world? Did Satan's fall bring death and decay to the earth? Did Adam and Eve's fall bring just death to humankind and mankind? Well, Romans 5, uh, Romans 5 says, verse 12, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. For until the law of sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam. So maybe decay has nothing to do with sin, but nature. Maybe the stars burning up have nothing to do with sin or the fall. Maybe they were always designed to run down and run out and burn out. Maybe God always had a different plan for man, and the earth was never designed to exist forever. In fact, I believe there's only two things on earth that were designed to last forever. People and God's word. Everything else, I believe, is going to get thrown into a fire, a great bonfire, in a sense. So I personally hold to this view of a a young earth created with age in six days. In fact, a better way to say it is that the earth was created mature, complete, and functional. And I still have questions and views myself on these topics, and I just love kicking them around and looking into them. But it has nothing to do with salvation. It has nothing to do with eternity. And just because there might be options to explain some timelines, it's speculation. It's speculation. We don't know. 10,000 years, 6,000 years. How old are we? Maybe you see the possibility if you look at it from different views. But none of it matters, matters much because of speculation. It matters nothing to salvation. It matters nothing for eternity. None of it. It's mostly speculation. I don't know about you, but I wasn't there. I know the scientist wasn't there. So for me, six days of creation makes the most sense to follow. And you can't go back in time and prove this scientifically either. It's, it's impossible. Science cannot replicate this in a lab. They cannot replicate creation in a lab. So for them, based on their own science, it's speculation at best. A leap of faith. In fact, since the fall of man and, and the flood, our earth went through at least two major cataclysmic events. And so looking back in time, it's impossible to look back to see, to know, and declare this is the way it was. It's impossible. You can't see. It's a guess. It's a speculation. It can't be proven scientifically. But even for some strange reason, if the earth is much older, it would suggest that a rendering of Genesis chapter 1 was off just a bit. Honestly, I could care less. The only ones that might care are the scientists or answers in Genesis. And by the way, answers in Genesis is a great, a great website, and I, and I, I find it respect, respectable, and I, and I do go there for a lot of research. But the fact is, it doesn't change anything about God. Nothing about God. It doesn't limit God in any way at all. It would simply help us discover a greater understanding of God's words and give us some insight of his greatness. So for me, it doesn't change anything. But now the topic of evolution, 
does. That topic changes things. Because their argument is more than just about an age thing in an old earth. It's questioning our creator God. And they're challenging what God's word says. And they're challenging where we came from. But their arguments as well is full of speculations and big gaps of faith. Big leaps of faith that they have to take when you study the topic. And you see it's so much based on nonsense. And it's really not worth our time. So instead of arguing and fighting with people based on speculation, point them to Jesus and focus on what we do know. The Bible is true. The Bible is God's words to man. The Bible is the inspired words of God. The Bible needs to be looked at in light of Scripture, in light of the Bible as a whole, not just one passage, and we pull it out. And when you think you found an error, if you think you found an error, that seems to conflict with a different part of the Bible, dig deeper. Stay in those passages a little longer. Study a little bit higher, harder. Investigate a little further, and you will find that the Bible is 100% accurate with all its facts and with all its doctrine. Don't fear a greater understanding of things. The truth is, the Lord would have given us more depth, more understanding, more insight if he really wanted us to know something. And so I'm not concerned and fearful about science either, and neither should you. Real science was created by God. And it will prove the Bible right every time with 100% accuracy. History is being revealed and science will align with the Bible. I promise you that. Remember, we're not trying to make the Bible align with science, which is a trick of the enemy. Don't fall into those traps. It's a trick. It's a very good trick. From the beginning, from the beginning of, in the garden, he tries to trick man. He tries to get God to que- man to question God and say that God is unreliable, that God is untrustworthy. These are lies from the enemy, and he's getting good at it because he existed for a very long time. Don't buy into the lies of the enemy. So we're not investigating Scripture to, dis- to disprove it, but to discover it. Going deeper, discover it. We want a greater understanding of God, a greater understanding of this book, a greater understanding of creation. So let's study the Bible to discover more of Jesus, to learn his ways, to to have a deeper relationship with the Messiah. So no need to fight. There's no need to defend the scripture. It stands alone. This is the greatest book that ever existed. It stands alone because it's backed by God Almighty. And so it's true and trustworthy and reliable. Amen. Verse, uh, chapter three, verse 17. O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into this blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it. He will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, what faith? We want you to know, O king, we will not serve your gods. We will not worship the image of gold you have set up. Regardless of what you say, king, regardless of your view, king, we will not bow down. We will not serve this God, these other gods. We will not worship any other God by by Jehovah God. And they stand strong and firm in their faith. Even when their life is on the line, they stand firm. Wow. That's the type of conviction I want. That's the type of conviction I want. That's the type of courage that I want. I want to stand strong. The enemy wants to silence us. The enemy wants us to take a knee to their way, to their will. No way. 
Take a stand. Be firm for God. What will you do when you're confronted by drugs and your friends put drugs in front of you? They want you to get drunk or deny your faith. Will you bow? Will you submit? Or will you stand strong for God? What about when they tell dirty jokes or they want you to to look at some inappropriate pictures or they want to take you some inappropriate places? Will you go? Will you bow? Or will you take a stand? And you can make this about almost anything in your life, about your family, about your friends, about your work, about your sports activity, about everything in life. This world wants you to quit on God. This world wants you to question God. This world wants you to stay quiet. And when you speak, or you're in the presence of other people, do you make them pause? Do you make them question what they're doing? Do they see you as righteous and good and holy? Or do they see you as one of the boys? Don't go along with their nonsense. Just go home. Or take a stand better, but don't bow a knee to the enemy. Verse 19, then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And his attitude towards them changed. Listen, people's attitude towards you will change when you're doing what's right. Because they're living for a different king. They're living for an enemy. And so the attitude changed. He ordered the furnace to be seven times hotter than usual. He commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie them up, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and throw them into the blazing furnace. The world will hate you because they hated Jesus. And Jesus sent us into this world. You were designed on purpose, with a purpose, for his purpose. Not just to live, drink, and be merry and have a good time. God wants us to be happy, but he wants us to be holy. God has a plan for us to be lived out on earth. For this season and for this time, you have been created right now. It could have been a thousand years from now. It could have been a thousand years in the past. No, he created you now, right now, in this time. And so he has a job for us to do, for you to do, for us to do, for all of us to do. So these men, wearing robes and trousers and turbans and clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. Verse 22, the king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot and the flames of fire killed the soldiers who took Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, shackled, tied, fell into the blazing furnace. By the way, I love, I love some of the extra stuff that the Bible throws in here, the remarks. The strongest soldiers, the strong soldiers. That's not an accident. I believe those men were fierce. Those men were brave. Those men were strong. And those men are going to approach a hot fire to throw these boys in. So they're not weak. We learned that they were strong soldiers. But they were killed by even a stronger power. And God is in control of the situation. We have to understand that God intervened. God wasn't so far distant. God intervenes. And these were warriors. And these warriors didn't compare to what God can do. And God threw out that fire and, and, and killed them. These were capable men. And now they're consumed by fire. But not the three young men. And so Nebuchadnezzar leaps to his feet in amazement. And he actually advises, weren't there three men who were tied up and thrown into the fire? And they replied, certainly, O king. And he said, look, I see four men 
walking around in the fire, unbound, unharmed, and the fourth looks like the Son of God. See, the king is no longer concerned with his men. He's concerned with the young men who are alive and walking around. He sees a fourth person like the Son of God, and he's awestruck. When you really meet God, you can be awestruck. In fact, Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. And the satraps and perfects and governors and royal advisors crowded around him. They saw the fire has not burned their bodies, nor was the hair of their head singed, and their robes were not even scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. This is a miracle from heaven. This is a miracle from God. Uh, can, God can see you through the hardest times in your life. No matter what you're going through, God can see you through. There's nothing so difficult for Him. Don't limit God by your situation. Don't limit God by the eyes that you see. He, he wants us to have spiritual eyes. He wants us to see beyond the physical, regardless of what you're going through. Now, I'm sure none of you have ever been thrown in a big fire or a bonfire like this before. God did it for them, and He can do it for us. And often miracles are just moments away. Our miracles so often are just moments away. For us, it seems like decades, but they're only moments away. But the enemy tries to delay it. The enemy tries to make you lose focus. The enemy tries for you to take your eyes off Jesus. The enemy tries for you to lose your hope. The enemy tries for you to lose your faith. The enemy doesn't want you to fix your gaze on Jesus Christ, but you stand firm and don't take a bow to the enemy's lies. You reject those lies. Hallelujah. We want you to know, O king, standing up to the greatest ruler of the time that's out there, he, ruled, he was just a strong, powerful king. O king, we will not serve your gods. We will not worship the image of gold you have set up. We will not bow down. We will not lose our faith. We will not lose our hope. We will not yield to the enemy's lies. We will stand strong. We will stand firm. We will pray. We will fast. We will focus on Jesus. But we will not take a knee. There's nothing the enemies can do to fully satisfy us in our life. It's only through the blood of Jesus Christ. All he does is practice his lies and his deceits. The enemy will just practice lies and practice deceit. But when we resist him, when those miracles come to us, when those testimonies reveal God's power, when our praises go up and our praises go out, God is glorified and his name is lifted up on high. Hallelujah. Take a stand for the Lord and don't bow down to the enemy's schemes. Number two, take a stand for the Lord and he will elevate you for your faithfulness. He will elevate you for your faithfulness. Even the doubters at times have to turn to God and believe in the impossible. King Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who sent his angel and rescued his servants, they trusted in him and defiled the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Man, this is conviction. I, I pray that you have this type of conviction in your heart. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who says anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble for no other god 
can save in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to the providence in the providence of Babylon. Wow! This great king is now praising the greater king. The great king, our God. He elevates these young men. How about that job interview, church? How about it? We're going to throw you into the fire. If you live, you pass. If you die, you failed. If you live, you get a promotion. If not, you lose your life. Who wants to try out for that job? God elevates us. God elevates those who remain faithful. If we are faithful with little, he will bless you with more. Do you believe that, church? These are promises from God. If you're faithful with a little, he will bless you with more. He will bless you with more. That's just how it works. He will elevate you. He will promote you. He will lift you up. He will change your circumstances. He will bless your heart. In closing, church, I want you to stop preparing your heart for communion. We all face the same decisions that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego faced. Will you take a knee and bow down to the world and its standards? Will you deny our faith or your faith? Will you turn your back on Jesus and reject his ways? Now many, many people might not know Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. Maybe you've been serving the word, the world, instead of serving God. Maybe you have been given in to comfort and complacency of this world. Maybe you lowered your standards and you're sinning. You need to confess. You need to repent for your sins. I'm here to tell you that the fire is real. And one day, we're going to face that fire if we don't change our direction. We're going to face that fire if we don't take a stand for righteousness. We're going to face that fire if we don't hold on to the promises of the Lord, if we don't repent. Hell is a real place. And while many churches today don't preach on hell, they only want to say nice things. They only, only want to make you feel good and feel comfortable. And, and, but I love you today. And I want you to know that hell is real. And the fire is real. And that pain is real. And I don't want you to take a bow to Satan or conform to the world's standards. Because to hell is where we'll end up. To hell is where we're going to go. Now, I know that might seem harsh and people don't want to hear that. But hell is a real place. And this town is watching people die in, in Sussex area and surrounding area, full of drugs and drunkenness and sin. And they call this road out here, Heroin Highway, all the way down to Patterson. And so we need to do our part as believers to spread the love of Christ, to share the gospel at work, at home, at church, with our friends in the streets, in the towns. To make a difference. To make a difference. And to make our time on earth count for something. We are to count for something. We are to do something significant. I've been busy the first 50 years of my life. I want to be even more busy the back 15, 50 years of my life. Whatever it is, whatever God's grace he gives me to make a difference. And so before we take communion, examine your heart. 
Ask yourself if Jesus is Lord of your life. Jesus, the Son of God, is He Lord of your life? If He's not Lord, then your future is in question. And maybe you're not saved. But know this. The fire is real. Hell is real. But heaven is real too. And Jesus Christ sent His Son to die on the cross. He dies so that we can live and have everlasting life with him it's a choice make that choice don't leave here not making that choice